now to bring our reading from Matthew chapter 18. Yes, the reading is different from the one on the service sheet, so don't get confused. It's actually on page 932. It's Matthew chapter 18. And it begins at verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive someone who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay his debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailer so to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive a brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Great, Ros, thank you very much for, for reading. If you'd have that open, page 932. We'll look at that as we think about this line in the prayer that we've just prayed. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. A word of prayer as we approach this story of Jesus and seek to apply it to our lives. Father, we acknowledge that you are good and your word is good. It's like food for the soul. So as we prayed last week, Lord, give us today our daily bread. Feed us, Lord, in the ways in which we need to be fed and built up, encouraged and challenged, so that we might be shaped more and more in the likeness of your Son. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
we're working our way through the Lord's Prayer, a template that we believe the Lord gave his disciples upon their request. Lord, teach us how to pray. And so this prayer, not necessarily that we should um, sort of uh, just roll it out, parrot fashion, uh, but that in reciting it, it's a reminder or a prompt to pray in all these different ways. We've looked at how we should address God as Father in heaven, intimate access to an enormous power, to praise him, hallowed be your name, to make praise as the activity that makes big things near and real and tangible. And then, Lord, your kingdom come, that we might live out your will here on earth as in heaven. Teach us to trust you. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. But I wonder, as you've prayed that prayer, as we perhaps began to think about this template of prayer, I wonder whether it's crossed your mind, thought has occurred to you, Am I, in praying that prayer, negating the work of Christ on the cross? The Bible's very clear that that was a once-for-all act of sovereign, gracious forgiveness. Christ bearing all of our sins, the, the, the penalty of the sin of the whole world in his body on the cross, so that for all time, people who receive that forgiveness and begin to walk in it may be free. So if God has achieved that once and for all then, why do I keep on praying? Forgive us our sins. Forgive me my sins. Maybe there's a limit to forgiveness. Look at verse 21. This is within the context of uh, Jesus has just been teaching on uh, dealing with sin in the church. How do we we keep short accounts with one another? How do we keep clear access? How do we build communication and community? And Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive someone who sins against me? Up to seven times. I'm prepared to forgive, obviously. Two or three times. Um, You know, over and over. Look how good I am. But is there a limit? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Um, And other translations, I think slightly more accurate, 70 times, seven times. Uh, It's not that Peter should go away and do the math, as they say, and uh, keep a little count until 490 offenses. And then on the 491st, that's it. It's a figure of speech. It just means always, forever. It's just live with a forgiving attitude. That's what marks kingdom living. You see, the the Lord's Prayer is a prayer of the kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, in my life, in our lives, such that it mirrors and echoes the song of heaven. And if forgiveness is the key note of heaven then we should be living in that and praying for that, both in terms of our receiving it and in terms of our offering it day by day by day. 
forgive us our sins as we forgive others. I wonder how you hear that phrase. It's open, I guess, to some misinterpretation. As if our forgiveness from God is conditional on our forgiving others. We forgive other people in order that we might receive forgiveness from God is how it might be construed. And indeed, when Jesus went on to teach uh, on the, in the Lord's Prayer, just flick back a, a, a page or two, chapter six. Because as soon as he gives this template for prayer, verses nine to 13, page 918, it's almost as if he backs up this one bit of teaching For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It sounds conditional, doesn't it? It sounds as if forgiveness is conditional. We'll receive God's forgiveness as long as we're in the act of forgiving others. But wait just a moment. Conditional forgiveness from God? Oh, I mean... How would we ever know when we've been forgiving enough? Can you imagine trying to live, really trying to celebrate the grace of God, the extraordinary, the extravagant, the limitless grace of God if we ever for one moment thought it was conditional on something we do? It's not conditional. We should read that line and understand it, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us as, as a kind of continuum. As we begin to understand more and more and to relish and to bask in and to rely upon the forgiveness that God in Christ has brought for us so as an overspill of our gratitude and realization, we seek to walk and to breathe that forgiveness as it fleshes out with other people with whom we live and work. We forgive in the same way and to the same extent that God has forgiven us. And that's not easy. Jesus knows that's not easy, which is why he told this story here. It's a parable. It's a kingdom parable. This is what the kingdom is like. Parables, we were looking at this um, a kind of definition of parable in, in our house group. Incidentally, if you're not in a house group um, but a member of the church here, what a way to get into scripture, to get to know other people, what a way to grow as a Christian. We won't do it in a big gathering like this, relatively big. Um, It needs to be in a smaller group of 10, 12 people where we can look out and uh, rejoice in one another and begin to help one another dig into scripture and allow the spirit of God to grow us. We were talking about a parable the other day and uh, we, we, uh, I think we sort of recognize that a parable is a a story with a meaning that we can readily embrace. It's almost as if you go to hug a friend. Ah, yes, this is familiar. I I know. And just as you take the embrace of the friend, it's as if the friend, the good friend, someone who you know and trust, in whose embrace you feel safe, punches you in the solar plexus. It's a story with a meaning and a punch that wins you. Goodness, I wasn't expecting that. Virtually every parable, watch for the way in which you'll get winded if you've embraced the story. Here's the story. Uh, This is so familiar uh, in sort of the the, the kind of uh, intensity of Middle Eastern life, now as then. Uh, Bartering and haggling and the money markets and so on. There were all sorts of 
transactions going around, payments and payments in kind. All sorts of people were in other people's debts. This is a really familiar story of a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So he began to settle the uh, accounts, and a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold. Just look at the footnote. F. Greek, 10,000 talents, a talent worth about 20 years of a day's laborer's wages, day laborer's wages. So we're talking millions of pounds, a staggering debt. Let's pause for a minute as we allow ourselves to get into that story. My goodness. I mean, do you know, has it ever played on your mind when you owe a mate a tenner? He, oh, can I borrow a tenner? Oh, gosh, I owe, I haven't paid him. But you see him again. Oh, I ought to, 10 pounds. Can you, maybe there are some of us here in, in, in big debt. I know a number of us have mortgages. Let's put that to one side if we can. But can you imagine this extraordinary, extraordinary amount of money? I mean, beyond imagination that you owe. The stress, the strain, every night you go to bed, every morning as you wake up. And here's the king calling accounts. Again, that was commonplace. He was not able to pay, and the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, all that he had, should be sold to repay the debt. Fair enough. Yeah, he's in debt. Judgment time. The debt needs to be paid. The servant falls on his knees, verse 26. Before him, please be patient with me, he begged, and I'll pay back everything. Notice that. The servant's intention is that somehow, somehow, I don't know how, but somehow I'll repay. I'll make good. I'll cancel the debt myself. I'll work it out. I've no idea how. But I'll do it. Please have mercy. And the king has mercy. Mercy and grace. Mercy is... Not getting what we do deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. The debt cancelled completely, forgotten, written off. I mean, just as we're at this part of the story, can't you, can you feel the weight off your shoulders? Can you feel your mind lightening? Oh, how wonderful that is, that thing that has been pressing down on our thinking, on our life, on our... Our very being, our whole consciousness released just like that. The one who has the power to release the debt has done it. Cancel completely. There's the punch. That's unusual. A massive, I mean, this is millions of pounds belonging to the king, and he said, forget it. What? I mean, that doesn't happen. That's extraordinary, isn't it? Oh, I wasn't expecting that in the story. This was sort of going as I thought it would go, and now... The king has, has completely cancelled the debt. Extraordinary. But stand by if your guts can take it, because there's another punch. It's even harder. Verse 28. The servant goes out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. By comparison, a paltry sum. He grabbed him, began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Let's pause there. It, have, you, have you received that punch? <laughs> what? This man who received so much grace, expecting to try and work out how he could pay back millions of pounds, has had the whole debt cancelled and now... He's gone out 
And he's going to squeeze whatever it was, 50 denarii, a few silver coins, out of one of his fellow servants. And now we're, we're disoriented by the whole story. I mean, I don't understand the grace of the king, but what? I don't understand the ungraciousness of this servant in light of what he's received. That's even more extraordinary. I mean, can that servant be for real? Has he understood anything of what he's just been through? I mean, what did he think? The what? Where do you go with that? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. How do we pray that prayer? How do we begin to live that prayer? I want to suggest briefly two steps. The first is to receive forgiveness. Receive forgiveness. We'll have to work hard here because it's so endemic in our Christian language. We sing about it. We pray it all the time. We can become complacent in a sense, lackadaisical. Have we, or rather, when was the last time that we sat and reflected on the forgiveness that we've received from God through Jesus Christ? When was the last time we realized, like the servant here, that we were bankrupt, owing millions? When was the last time we thought long and hard about the reality of the forgiveness. The rock-hard, cast-iron reality of the forgiveness that God in Christ has wrought for us. You see, we live in a culture that is fast detaching itself from God. We don't think of ourselves as living, in a sense, in, in offense to God. And therefore, we don't think of a God who we've angered and a God, therefore, from whom we need to seek forgiveness. And that plays out in our relationships. We, we don't think that we have to think too hard about how our decisions, how our lives impact others. Community fragmenting, individualism rife. If it feels good to you, do it. What if it hurts others? Wow. Tolerance. That's the word, isn't it? We kind of just live with our little peccadillos and we kind of are tolerant with others. But what when others hurt me? What when I'm bruised and cut and bashed? Well, you'll just have to kind of go into your private room and sort of pretend it didn't really happen. Tolerance. But does it work? I mean, think of a typical office situation. Think of your staff room or open plan office. Just think with the colleagues. How many times do you hear people rehearsing grudges and planning mini revenge? I'll tell you what, that Bob down the, of Sheila there, she, you'll never guess what, I'll tell you, I'm going to. That's in one side of the balance. And the other side of the balance, how often do you hear, do you know, we had a difference and um, I sought forgiveness and received the pardon and we're reconciled, or that kind of language. When do you hear healthy resolution to conflict? compared to all the fruit of conflict. 
we don't know what to do with forgiveness. We've either denied it exists or trivialized it so much. We don't know that forgiveness is real in, in our culture, and it impacts the church if we're not careful. Time, every now and then, is a discipline. That's why, as a church, we, we give time to confess publicly, to, to create space for us to think, I know my life is out of kilter, out of shape, and consciously I want to come to the God who can forgive me and ask his forgiveness and receive it as something cast iron and solid and certain because of Christ. And to live in the, the wellness of that, the wholeness of that, the healing of that. Receiving forgiveness. Jesus said, if you forgive your sin, uh, sorry, forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you your sin. It's a concrete reality. As we recognize what Christ did for us, in drawing the sin of the world on himself. We know that our sin, the broken relationship and the pride and the arrogance and the independence that, that comes as a result has been dealt with. Bankrupt as we are, we can go to heaven and have our debt written off. In John's Gospel of the account of the crucifixion, there's the words, Jesus' final words, according to John, it is finished. And the word, the Greek word is uh, tetelestai, probably not pronounced like that, tetelestai. And it literally means paid in full. And scholars have agonized over that word. Why, why did uh, Jesus say that then, right at the end of his life on the cross? Until um, recent discoveries, they came across a whole load of financial statements um, that had been hoarded around about the time of Jesus. And stamped over the statements was this word, tetelestai, paid in full. Here was a, a debt owed, and it's been paid in full. There's no more debt. And when Jesus uttered those final words on the cross, he was saying, he was declaring the certainty of forgiveness before God, paid in full, finished. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It begins by taking time to wallow in the reality and the truth of that. To put yourself in that servant's shoes, facing the prospect of having to sell wife and children and home and everything that you stand for, and realizing that through no efforts or ingenuity of your own, but only through the grace of the king in the story, only through the grace of God and his initiation and his idea, our debt has been completely cancelled. Or if you like to take that well-known story of Jesus in Luke chapter 15, of the father and the son, the son who curses the father and goes off to a foreign land and spends all his father's money until it's all run out, wallowing in the pig dung 
stinking and hungry and lonely. I'll go to my father. Put yourself in the body of that son as he walks, deciding, I'm only worthy to be a servant. I have no rights now. I just want a roof over my head, maybe a meal a day. Put Put yourself in that son as you look through these mud-caked eyes at a father who is running towards you. One of the greatest scandals of all the gospel stories, the father who ran. Patriarchs stood still and culture, society, people came to them. A running father, what a disgrace. What a, what a shock, how countercultural. Imagine the father running to embrace you hugging you, putting a ring on your finger, a robe around you, full rights and status, the fatted calf is killed for you. Receive God's forgiveness. And breathe it in. And walk in it. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We've just sung, I'm lost in wonder. I'm lost in love. I'm forgiven. I'm restored. Receive forgiveness, because that's the only way in which we'll be able to offer forgiveness. It's a gift. We receive it. And in receiving it, we pass it on. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgiveness is hard. And it's an act of the will. It's a decision that you make first and foremost. Let me tell you, you will never feel like forgiving someone first. If someone has wronged you, however slight or major it may be, you will never feel like forgiving them. But until you do, that unforgiveness will imprison and enchain you and enslave you. You you know that's true. If we think and dwell on it for just a while, I was thinking about uh, an area of forgiveness that I needed to exercise. Um, In one sense, it sounds so trivial, but it was with a a tutor at uh, the college where I trained who said something one day, "I, I, I bet... He's got no idea of the impact of what he said. It was a kind of throwaway line, but it just went into me. And for some time, I I played it over in a kind of disbelief. Did he really say that? Did he really mean that? Is that really true of me? And then I got settled into a place of actually just holding onto it, like a little grudge, kind of nursing it a little bit, just, you know. In In a perverse sort of way, it made me feel quite good. I... I could kind of control this thing. It it, it was not a great thing, but I I could just, yeah, look at this little grudge I've got. Ah, I'll just keep it there. Get on with living my sort of Christian life, and then every now and then, I don't know, when I felt a bit sorry for myself, I'd just come back and and stroke it again. Hold on to it. Do you know what I realized after a while? I'm talking months and years. Is that it it was like I was on a cycle, and instead of being a spiral where I was growing and growing more into the likeness of Christ, I was just coming back to the same place, taking off and coming back, taking off and coming back. I was imprisoned. 
every time I thought about that tutor and the comment he made and possible implications of it, I felt inhibited and reduced, impoverished. I felt small in size. I didn't feel particularly friendly, warm, generous, as I thought of the tutor. I didn't feel like forgiving him. But then I remembered that Jesus in Gethsemane, as he prayed to the Father, didn't feel like going to the cross. And yet, as he prayed to the Father and submitted himself to the Father and carried out his will, he was able to pray in what arguably is the greatest human injustice that has ever taken place in human history. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And I decided to place that tutor in my mind's eye and to go back into that situation and to say, not to deny the words that he'd used, but to say, despite that, I love him in Christ and I forgive him. I'm going to be free from the way in which those words have enchained me. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know the, do you know the beauty of God's grace? Oh. It's like, it's like the strawberries and cream we're about to eat. The, you know, the beauty of something, it just, it immediately tastes so good. I'm not saying there's not stuff to work through. I'm not saying there are not patterns of living and cycles of behavior that we need to work through. But the, the immediate sense of something being broken, something being released, as we choose, in, if you like, blind obedience to offer the gift of forgiveness that we ourselves have received. I, I, instantaneously, I knew I could see that guy and picture that guy in a different way, in a whole way. And instantaneously, I knew I, I felt bigger in myself. The feelings related to forgiveness comes once we've made the decision to forgive. I'm conscious I've talked about, a, in relative terms, a trivial thing. But actually, it isn't, you know. It, it, it's an act of the mind and the will. I decided to hold on to that little grudge. And even though it was just a little thing initially, it, it began to overpower me. There may be massive things. I'm conscious there are huge and enormous things that a number of us maybe go through. Enormous injuries and hurts that have had an extraordinary impact on our lives. But can I just say this? It's not our power that brings the release through forgiveness. It's Christ's power. And whether it's a small thing that actually can grip us, or whether it's an extraordinary thing that would overwhelm most of, most of us, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, is a prayer to stand like the drainpipe in the way of the flow and allow Christ's power to flow in and through us. When Peter came to Jesus, verse 21, Lord, how many times shall I forgive someone who sins against me? Up to seven times. Look how impressive I am, Jesus. Look how generous and gracious. Look the extent to which I can forgive. And Jesus replies to Peter and then tells this story to say, Peter, it's not you. 
it's not you who does the forgiving. This is a limitless supply of grace and forgiveness that cannot come from the human heart, but only from Christ's storehouse in heaven through our heart as we're cleansed and washed and out into the lives of others. Forgiveness releases us and releases those that we choose to forgive. Final example or illustration from a book by Johann Christoph Arnold. He's uh, written two books that I know of. Um, One, The Lost Art of Forgiving, and this one, Why Forgive? Powerful stories that he's collected of people with extraordinary things that they've had to go through in their lives, excuse me, where they've chosen to make the decision to forgive. This is of uh, a young man called Chris, who was a teenager, was abducted and then shot by a man. Uh, He was shot in the head, but miraculously he survived and went on eventually to meet with and forgive his would-be assassin. Throughout the week, Chris writes of um, David, I shared with him about the victories of my recovery, about my life since the horrifying day he tried to kill me. I graduated from high school, from college, and then from grad school. I'd married. I had a beautiful wife and family. I shared these things with him so that he could understand in the way the ancient Israelite Joseph tried to get his brothers to understand after they abandoned him. That which you intended for evil, God has used for good. I let him know that he'd not ruined my life in the end, and there was nothing between us now. And he concludes, there's a very pragmatic reason for forgiving. When we're wronged, we can either respond by seeking revenge, or we can forgive. If we choose revenge, our lives will be consumed by anger. And when vengeance is served, it leaves one empty. Anger is a hard urge to satisfy and can become habitual, but forgiveness allows us to move on. There's also a more compelling reason to forgive. Forgiveness is a gift. It is mercy. It is a gift that I've received and also given away. In both cases, it's been completely satisfying. whether it's an enormous trauma like Chris's, whether it's a tiny thing like a word, a barb, the gift of forgiveness received and then offered frees and releases us to live kingdom lives. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us our daily bread. Teach us to trust you in the realm of forgiveness so that as we receive forgiveness from you, we may, in the same way and to the same extent, forgive others when they sin against us. Amen. Just a moment or two of quiet as we prepare to sing our final song.